Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. Well, I want to begin a new series, and I'm so excited because as I was praying about God, the direction you want us to take, what do you want us to study and to look at, God gave me this series called Master Plan. Now, what's Master Plan? We'll talk about that in a little moment, but, but the important word is Master. This is the Master's Plan. How many want to be in the Master's Plan for your life. Amen. You see that master plan. Is there a plan? What's God doing? What does this plan look like? And and if you'll remember, uh, I'm already planning this. I'm working on it, preparing it, studying, praying. Uh, we're going to look at the book of Acts. And so last week, the Sunday before I begin this, uh, Dr. Bosman comes in and he says, we're going to reenact the book of Acts. I said, oh yeah, that's, that, that's where we're headed. So I said, God, I got that confirmation. I'm in this, I'm studying this, I'm preparing this. And, and, and he brings someone in and says, we're going to reenact the book of Acts. How many love it when the Holy Spirit confirms something in your life? Isn't that amazing? As he confirms something. I want you to turn to the person on both on either side, both sides, get both people something, and say, God's about to do something big around here. Come on, tell that somebody. God is about to do something big around here. So 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 what is the master plan? What is the master plan for a Holy Spirit empowered church? That's what we're after. What is the master plan for a Holy Spirit empowered church? Church family, come on, let's be real. And let's not just have a Bible lesson that talks about way back when and in the far off future. But what about in this world we're living in right now? What, what, what's the master plan for spirit-empowered church? I'm going to tell you something. Any other kind of Christian life, any kind of church is not empowered by the Holy Spirit, is not going to be relevant and is not going to be effective. In this world we're living in today. We have never seen what I consider spiritual warfare. Almost take the blinders off and rush right up in our face. We, we are looking at, in the last 15 days, three mass shootings in this nation. A festival in California. Walmart and El Paso. And in the early hours this morning, Dayton, Ohio. Just where we are. It, it's, it's unprecedented. It's like the, the spiritual warfare. You know, some people, I've, I've heard them say, oh, I don't like that spiritual warfare talk. I, 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 you know, I don't want to think about the devil and his demons. I, I'm not trying to be unkind. But, you know, just because you ignore something doesn't mean it goes away. And you realize, and I'm not trying to be rude or crude here, that, you know, if you just stick your head in the sand, you, you, you got a real big target sticking up in the air there. That's just easy pickings for the devil. What we have to understand today is that these things we're seeing, we have to come to the place to realize that's demonic activity. That's Satan trying to divide us into wreck and ruin us. I want you to listen to me today. We, We cannot afford in this day and time as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to be anything less than empowered, led, and directed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Human answers will not suffice. What our nation is being gripped with is not going to find an answer in any human institution. Only a Holy Spirit-inspired church. Listen to me closely. And I committed to this as your pastor. We cannot, listen to me, listen to this statement. We cannot allow our political rhetoric 
to replace our prophetic relevance in this world today. I refuse to diminish the prophetic relevance of God by by political rhetoric that waters down what God has to say to us. I refuse to allow it to divide this church, divide who we are, water down who we are, and, and, and for us to try to solve these issues on a lower level. I'm going to tell you Satan is trying to rip this country apart. He is, he is showing himself through people who will surrender. And the answer will not come from human institutions, but only from a church, from a people who are walking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, who know who their God is, who know how to battle these entities and release the power of God into a situation. You see, that's why we bring these children and pray. I didn't say it in front of them on purpose because I don't want them to be afraid. I want them to walk out of here blessed and prayed over. But I, but you know the, the plans of the enemy. He even attacks the schools today and brings things in. But I declare in the name of Jesus that the demons that purpose and promote those things have to stand back off our children because they are surrounded by the angels of all Almighty God and prophesied by the Spirit of the Lord and we say no, 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 no weapon formed against them shall prosper in the name of Jesus. We fight for them, pray for them, stand for them, believe for them. There's a master plan. There's a master plan that we have to catch and follow and, and, and walk in and stand strong in this day. It's a spiritual warfare for the soul of this nation. What is a master plan? You, you know the term. Uh, it, a master plan carries these synonyms. It, it's the original. What's the original? See, a master plan is a design that allows you to build in accordance with the design of the creator, the originator, the, the one who, who who orchestrated it and was the architect, the, the master plan, original, authentic. See, see, I'm convinced that we need to stop trying to redefine the church and we need to just be the church. We need to stop giving a current translation and interpretation. I don't think we need to reform our theology. Our theology needs to be reborn. We, we, we need to say, what's original and authentic? What was the beginning? What was first? What was the pioneer? What was the game plan? What was the model? What was the prototype that we find in the Word of God? It's a master plan. The word authentic carries these kinds of, uh, of, of synonyms. Accurate. Listen to this. Authoritative. Why does authority come with authenticity? Because you are following the plan and you know you're right in the center, in the wheelhouse, right in the middle of what you're supposed to be doing. You see that? It releases an authority, an accurate and authoritative. It's legitimate. It's pure. It's trustworthy. Those are the meanings of master plan. I don't think we can afford right now to, to be reinventing who we're supposed to be. We, we need to be rediscovering what God originally had in His Word for us. 
And so this, this is where we are. What, what was the original plan? Let, let's look at this. Let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 through 47. We're going to come back and use this as a template as we go forward over these next few weeks and maybe even, even a couple of months. But let's look at this and, and, and I'll back up. But what was, what, this, this is Acts chapter 2. This, this is the birthday of the church. It's the master plan. It's the authentic, pioneering, trustworthy, pure, original prototype. When, when the church began, what was the natural life of that church? Okay? What, what was the organic process of these people meeting Christ? When the church was birthed, not when some committees and everybody else got involved, what naturally sprang forth? What was the life when the church began? Well, let's look at verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves, these first original disciples, followers of Christ. I, I, I think it's interesting. They, 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 You've got to understand, these were the first Christians ever. There was no model for them. They were the model. They had all been Jews. They had all been in another form of religion. And it's fascinating to me the purity and, and, and the immediate grasp of what that relationship did for them. Because this word says they devoted. I, I, I can't, you know, uh, dissect every word and all these scriptures. We're going to study this. It's, it's going to, I believe, transform some things in your life. But I want you to see immediately their encounter with God. And the work of the Holy Spirit created a response that was called devotion. There were some priorities. Everybody with me? There was some direction. There were some things that became priority to them immediately because of their relationship with Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And you've heard me teach on this Many times, some of you more than others in our leadership circles. Well, let me look at this, and we're going to come back. Initially, as a pastor, I only got half of that verse. I, I, I instinctively, it was easy for me to see from a church perspective, from a Sunday church perspective, two of those four things. It says they devoted themselves immediately. Devoted. Priority was what? The teaching of the Word of God. I got that. It says to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And, 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 and I was taught and I understood and most of us on a, with a Sunday morning relationship with God get the word and prayer. Of course, you're supposed to read your Bible and pray. Of course, you disciple people. Of course, you study the word. But right in the middle, sandwiched between the word of God and prayer, in the same verse, I want you to hold on your seat, and at the same level of importance in their early life was fellowship and eating together. Gee. See, we think church is what you do on Sunday. And you know, there's 68 different times the Bible says one another in the New Testament. And you know, you can only do about five of them sitting in rows looking at the back of people's head in front of you. Come on, take a breath, relax. All good. We're just walking through this thing. Are we doing this master plan or are we not? Are we understanding this or are we not understanding this? Have we modified it? Did we have a master plan and we said, well, we don't like your master plan, Jesus. This is 2019. We got the internet. 
I got a cell phone. I've got Hulu, Zulu, Netflix, Roku. Is that Roku? Roku. Somebody's out there. I don't know. Dear God. I don't know how you have time to watch all that stuff. I don't, and, and it's crazy. We're crazy. If you, when you walk in Walmart or Sam's Club, you know, right there, the front door you walk in is the newest, largest television. I'm going to tell the truth. And it's not fair. It's the devil because football season's coming up. And just when I'm satisfied with what I have, and I'm reading about, you know, the Dallas Cowboys going to have a good year, and then I walk in and there's a 200-inch, I mean, I could see Dak Prescott sweat if I watched that one. Some of you don't understand. I'm sorry. But, but here's the crazy world we're in. So, so you, walk in, you walk in the electronics store and it's a 150-inch television. And, and, and yet, I'm flying on the airplane and everybody's got... And they're looking at, at this. I mean, you can't even see that. Why do you want to watch TV on that when you can watch TV on that? I don't understand Somebody told the pastor, why do you have that smaller phone? Because I don't want to carry a TV around in my pocket. (laughs) Why don't you get the large iPhone? It's okay if you have one. Don't get embarrassed right now. It's all right. Why do you have that? Because it's a phone. I have a TV at the house. If I want to watch a movie, I'll go to the cinema. I don't want to carry around... A tablet in my pocket. I got a MacBook. I don't want to carry that around. Can you see that? That's what's going to come next. So first we had the tiny one, then I got bigger and bigger and bigger. Then you had the flip phone. Remember the flip phone? I just want to put it in my pocket. Don't worry about it. You understand what I'm saying? This is for me to call you or you call me. This is for business. It keeps my calendar. It keeps my contacts. And, 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 and I do business on this. If I want to go to the movies, I'll go to the movies. If I want to watch TV, I'll go home. I mean, that's why you shouldn't be watching TV driving the car anyway. I don't know why I got on that. So let's go to this. But, Pastor, we modified the master plan. Why do we do that, Pastor? Why do we modify the master plan? I don't know. It's a good question. We need to ask ourselves. Are we devoted to the Word? How do we see that? Are we devoted to prayer? How do we see that? Come on, stay with me. Are we devoted to one another? To the fellowship. Or do, do we prioritize getting together, eating, building relationships, letting the body of Christ be the body of Christ? Come on, stay with me. Now watch what happens in this next verse. I think these are connected. I think these are intimately and intricately connected. Because one of the big questions people ask me today, Pastor, why don't we see more miracles? Pastor, why do we see more miracles in other countries than we see in the United States? Okay? So, here, here's what our Western theologians have done. Instead of answering that question and finding out why we don't have more miracles and releasing them into the body of Christ and helping people find that, the Western theologians have spent their time explaining why God doesn't do it anymore. Why, if you travel the world outside the United States, He's doing it more than He's ever done it. So what we developed is an arrogant Western theology that acts as if it doesn't happen in America, that's not real. Come on, everybody, still with me. I told you, this isn't baby stuff. This isn't, this isn't you know, one-on-one today. Let's get real. And so we, instead of, instead of getting on our face and saying, God, we need to see your power, we've devoted ourselves to dodging the issue and saying he just doesn't do it anymore. 
But let's look at this. So they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And, and let, let, let me notice here, uh, let's, uh, let, let's back up to verse 42. Back up one more time. Let's look at this. Okay? See these things they devoted themselves to, all right? Now let's go to verse 43. What happened as a result of that? Let's look at this. Everyone was filled with awe. Watch this. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. I believe verse 43 is connected to verse 42. When we begin to follow the master plan of God, God is able to then begin to do the things that he wants to do. When we begin to follow the devotion, the plans, and his plan, and not substitute our plan, then God just shows up naturally in our midst. It's a natural overflow. The master plan of God cannot be improved upon. And when we allow God to do through us and in us what his plan originally is instituted, we begin to see God flow through. All right? We're going to talk about that more. Let's keep going. All the believers were together. Look at this. And had everything in common. There was such unity. There was unity. That's a core value. There was unity, miracles, fellowship, meeting together. Look at verse 45. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he had need. There was generosity that became a natural extension of their life. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So what did they do? They met in the large group. They met in the small group. They met in the temple. They met in their house. They were part of a big body of believers. And they were part of a fellowship of believers that knew their name and who they were and how they lived and how to help them. That's the master plan. When it began to flow, God's powers and miracles happened. Let's look at this next verse, 47. Not only that, look at this. Praising God. The, 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 watch this. We, we, the church in America, to be quite frank, has not has lost this next statement. Watch. Praising God and what? Enjoying the favor of all the people. Do you know what I believe? I believe God wants His church to so be supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit and be such a wonderful, beautiful, attractive, dynamic place that even the people that don't believe what we believe, we are favored by this culture. Today in America, the church is maligned and accused and disregarded, uh, even made fun of. It's never happened before. People go on places like The View and say our vice president has mental illness because he said that God speaks to us. The audacity of where we are today. And yet the Bible says in the master plan, what happens? You know what happens? We have favor with all the people. See, the power and the reality of God, listen to me, guys, is supposed to be so real and genuine and inescapable and undeniable that whether you agree with my theology or whether you like who, you know, other things about me, you can't deny that I love Jesus and that I love you and that God is real and that His power is available. Favor needs to come back on the church. How many can say amen to that? But it's got to happen. Look at this. And look at the last sentence. And here's the bottom line with God. And it should be the bottom line of the church. And this is a natural flow of the life of God. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Every day. Every day. You know what I'm praying for? You know, we should have, we should, we should have a water baptism service every Sunday. Because we've got seven days of people who come to Jesus. 
Seven days of people who came to the Lord. Come on, how many with me right now? This is, I'm, I'm not saying, hey, come on, let's shape up, get right, do this. I'm saying, hey, let's step in this plan and let God do what he wants to do. Let's take a reevaluation. Let's look at the master plan. Let's lay what we do against this grid. So we see this happening. We see God moving. So, so how, how did they arrive at this? This thing we're reading, maybe you're not uh, familiar with scripture, this devotion, what happened? You remember Jesus said to them in Acts chapter 1, I'm going back to heaven. I want you to stay in Jerusalem. He had died on the cross. He had been raised from the dead. He had shown himself to them for 40 days. Undeniably, he was bodily raised from the dead. He said, I'm going back. And when I go back, the Holy Spirit's coming. He said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. On Acts chapter 2, let's go there in verse number 1. When They were waiting. They were praying. They had been praying for 10 days in obedience to what Jesus said. And as they're waiting and as they're praying, they have no idea what God is going to do. They just are going to do what He said. It kind of reminds me of what we're doing at Calvary. That's why I'm excited. I don't know what God's going to do on August the 18th and 19th, but I'm going to be here on August 18th and the 19th. And if on that day God wants to part heaven and send this power and do something dynamic, guess what? I'm not going to let you tell me about it. I'm going to be right in the middle of it. How many can say amen to that? See, they were praying. Watch this. And the Holy Spirit was outpoured. Acts 2 verse 1. Let, let me hit a couple of highlights. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place suddenly. Look, it, we missed some things. Look at this. It doesn't say a wind, a wind blew. It said a, a sound like the blowing of a mighty wind came from heaven. There, there was a rush of the presence of God in that place. Ah, a roar, a rush. It was, you could hear the presence of God come in that room. Come on, how many can say amen to that? It filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. It wasn't, it wasn't natural fire. It looked like fire. It seemed like fire. It was a presence of God. And it came to rest on just three or four of them. Huh? All of them. Verse 4. 10% of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, oh. The, the, the Pentecostals. Not, not the, no, no, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what they do? Began to do what? Speak in other tongues as they repeated what Peter said. Huh? How did they speak in tongues? As the Spirit enabled them. What? Come on. I'm kind of just throwing it out there today. Let, let me help you. When, when did God and the devil ever change places? Anybody ever thought about that? I, I read not long ago, somebody said, speaking in tongues no longer of God. If somebody spoke in tongues today, it's of the devil. When, when did God and the devil ever change places? Listen, I wish I was always a Christian. But can I tell you something? I've been to some places I shouldn't have been in before Christ. You know what I'm talking about? I, I've, I've seen people drink things. That you shouldn't drink. <clears throat> I've never seen somebody turn a glass up and speak in tongues. I never saw anybody smoke weed and speak in tongues. I've never seen anybody snort a line and speak in tongues. Don't shout me down. But I've seen the Holy Spirit enable people to do some things. <laughs> Come on, I've seen the Holy Spirit enable people to do what they couldn't do. So they begin to pray in tongues. Why? Because the Holy Spirit enabled them. Why? Because they were there praying when God said, be there praying. 
So they're, they're praying, and, and, and everyone, regardless of, the, of their theology, said, that's the day the church began. Well, if that's the day the church began, why are we reinventing how we began? Why are we changing our history? You know, there's a big study because we're disjointed in our families and our, and our family systems are dysfunctional and broken. And there's a big push today. People want to know, who are my roots? And they're tracing their genealogy and going back. I got some good news for you today. I'm going to save you some money and some time. I just read to you the roots of your spiritual family. There's your grandpa and your grandma and your auntie and your daddy and your grandmother and your uncle Willie and your Aunt Mary and your great great mother they were in the upper room that's my spiritual parents they were there the day the Holy Spirit came that's who we are that's the founders of Calvary Assembly that's the people who got us here today anybody with me today that's how we got who we are where we are and you know what I'm not going to rewrite my family tree I see all the branches and they're flowing back to God and the branch that has my name on it is going to be tapped into the same trunk the same anointing the same thing that happened that's what we're going to do we're not going to rewrite the plan we're going to rediscover this plan so they all began to pray and everybody you can read in Acts 2 they I got to hurry boy I don't have to hurry they all gathered around and they said what is this and Peter remember old Peter who denied Jesus three times who said, I give up, I'm going to fish again. Who said, it's too late for me. Oh, Peter stood up. Why? Because he got back in the master plan. He got back in the prayer room. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter stood up and said, these guys aren't drunk as you suppose. They're filled with the Spirit of God. God said, in the last days, I'm going to pour my Spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters are going to prophesy on both men and women. I'm going to pour out my Spirit. And he begins to preach and said, you crucified Jesus. And they said, my God, what are we supposed to do? He was the Son of God. Go to chapter 2. Let's turn over here to verse 38. I've got to hurry. Come on. Stay with me here for a minute. Verse 38. Peter replied. They said, what do we do? They're convicted. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, was that just for today? Man, I'm so thankful for this first. Look, look, look at this. The promise is for you, those standing in the room that day. It promises for your children, those that are of the next generation. And for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. That's you and me. Come on. How many are thankful we were 2,000 years down the family line. But God called us. And we have this. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. 3,000 people in the first altar call. And, and then, where do we go? Look at verse 42. What did they immediately begin to do? They devoted themselves. And I read the lifestyle of miracles, generosity, devotion, salvation. It became this amazing master plan that marched across the known world without benefit of mass media, any kind of internet, any kind of social media, any kind of printed page, any kind of mass transportation. These men and women marched out of the, the womb of the upper room following the master plan of God and literally by the definition of that on generation said these people have turned the world upside down. Church family... There's a master plan. 
for a supernatural church. And we're going to dig into these verses. We're going to look at the examples in, in, in the book of Acts. Let, let me tell you something. Uh, we, we see their connection to the Word, to each other, to prayer. Can I tell you something? Your connections will determine your direction. What you're connected and devoted to will determine where you're going to go tomorrow. Your connections determine your direction. Listen, your relationships will determine the rulership in your life. Your relationship will determine your rulership. The people I'm committed in relationship with will determine the spiritual authority in my life. If I'm in relationship with Jesus, I have rulership over Satan. If I'm submitted to him, I have authority over the things from the enemy. My relationships will determine my rulership. I could go on and on. Let me give you one more. Your conversations will determine your convictions. What you and I talk about at work. What you talk about with your buddies. What you listen to, what you put in your mind, what, what, what you allow yourself to talk about, your conversations are going to determine your conviction. See, don't, don't miss the process of this plan that God's doing. Let me listen. I'm going to have to stop with this. What did they do? Watch this. First, they prayed. They prayed. They went in that upper room and what did they begin to do? For 10 days, they, he said, pray. They said, we're praying. They trusted God. They surrendered to God. They, they trusted Him. See, it's just like you coming to Christ. Listen, give me three or four minutes, I'll stop. What happened to you and I? I had to come to a place of trust and surrender, didn't you? And then how you got saved? What happened when you trusted God? He forgave us. We sang today, what, a hundred billion failures disappear. I trusted Him. What happened? Come on. He forgave us? Did we repent? What happens when you repent and trust in the Lord? He forgives you. You know, what he, you know what happens next in your life? He delivers you. Come on. He delivers you. He breaks the authority of Satan. We've been transferred out of the authority of Satan into the kingdom of God. Satan doesn't have any right to come get you anymore. Come on, somebody say amen. Colossians chapter 1. We've been transferred. We've been delivered. Somebody say, I've been delivered. Say, have been. I have been delivered. Yeah. So we've been delivered. So we are forgiven. Thank God for forgiveness. Then we've been delivered. Thank God for deliverance. Come on, how many are thankful for deliverance? Then the next thing you know what God does, then he heals all those broken places where the devil had messed you up. And you know what he does after he forgives you, after he delivers you, and after he heals you, now that you're ready, you can hold something good. Now he fills you with the Holy Spirit. So come on, let's say it, Pastor. How many have been forgiven? Come on, let's celebrate forgiveness right now. Come on, how many have been delivered by the power of God? Now let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit comes in you, wouldn't you like to be have one encounter with God and you're perfect forever? Wouldn't that be sweet? But what happened before you met Jesus, you just had that old carnal nature running your life, right? And when the Holy Spirit came in your life, guess what happened? The Spirit of God's in your life now. Now you have two natures in you. See, before, to be honest, you just had the fallen nature. Help this, you got me? But now we have the Holy Spirit in us. Don't you wish the fallen nature would have just left? That's called death. Did you get that? That's called death. When do I get rid of the carnal nature? When I leave this planet. But the good news is now, although I still got that carnal nature, I'm living in this, in this, in this body. Come on. Tell the truth. I'm living in this one. I've got the carnal nature. But the good news is Jesus moved in. The Holy Spirit's living in me. And now I'm not left to that nature. The Spirit of God's in me. So what happened? I've been forgiven. I've, 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 been, I've been delivered. Why? The Holy Spirit's in me. And if I keep being filled with His Spirit, I'll keep being free from those things that used to hold me back. 
So I get healed. I get, I'm forgiven. I'm delivered. I'm healed. Say I'm healed. Come on, say I'm healed. You're not broken. Stop saying you're broken. Say I'm not a victim. Come on, say it. I'm not a victim. I, I would listen, say this. Nobody owes me anything. <laughs> no matter, no matter what they did, it can't hold me anymore. Oh, come on. See, we're free. You're free. I'm free. I'm free. You don't, you can't, I don't need you. I don't have to have it. You don't do it. You don't control me. But pastor, see, see, come on. I, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. So, so, so we're, we're, we're forgiven. We're delivered. We're healed. And what happened? We're filled with the spirit of God. Come on. I'm, I'm filled. So, so what happens then? And this is where I end. Then the life of God just starts flowing through the church. The life of God flows through the church. What happens? We begin to love each other. We eat together. Have fellowship together. We're devoted to the Word of God. Man, I love the Word. I love the Word. Why? Because there's a new nature in me. Hungry, hungry, hungry for God. Somebody said to me, Pastor, I don't have a hunger for the Word. I can tell you why. If you're a Christian and you're not hungry for the Word, because you never have eaten any of it. <laughs> Pastor, I'm not hungry for the Word. Well, I wouldn't be hungry for something I've never eaten either. Because there's not, your, your spiritual nature has a hunger for the Word. And if you'll taste and see that the Lord is good, you're going to get hungry. See, some of us grew up po. We were po. You didn't know what a filet mignon tasted like, much less what it looked like. But God blessed you and you went to the steakhouse. And you ate a filet Mignon. Now you may not can eat it every day, but that fillet compared to that sardine, come on, tell the truth now. Come on, how many ever ate us some spam? I have. Come on, tell the truth. Come on, it's Alabama, you know to tell the truth. We ate some spam. And spam was all right till I ate some porterhouse steak, tell the truth. And then I got hungry. Come on, tell the truth. Then did you ever get hungry for a steak after that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Taste and see. Pastor, I'm not hungry for the word. Don't tell on yourself like that. You hadn't been eating any. Say, I got a new nature in me. Pastor, I don't know how to pray. Oh, you got a new nature in you. You know why you don't know how to pray? Because you just don't talk to him. Take some time. Then you begin to love each other. So we begin to love each other, begin to love God, begin to eat that word, begin to worship. You know what happens? Then miracles start happening and unity starts flowing and generosity starts being relieved. And people start watching you say, I want some of that stuff. What are they doing over there at Calvary? I've never seen people love each other like those people love each other. They're red and yellow, black and white, precious in his sight. They love each other. <laughs> they care about each other. They're, 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 they're not wrapped up in political rhetoric. They're having prophetic relevance at that church. They're setting captives free. Demons are running out the windows and leaving that place alone. Why? I want some of that favor. And then somebody says, can you tell me about that? You see, there's a master plan. Come on, stand, stand, stand. Come on, musicians, let's stand. I apologize, kind of, for being over here on this. I'm, I'm trying. Thank you. And... I've got a whole lot to say here. We're going to, how many going to give me a shot next week? <laughs> There's a master plan. The master plan. So powerful. Come on, let's end with this. Without the Holy Spirit to empower the church, the body of Christ 
is like Adam's body in Genesis 2 before God breathed in his nostril. It's all in order and ready to go, but it's ineffective and lifeless. Could it be in America today the church has become a lifeless body because the Holy Spirit not empowering us? All the plans without the Spirit are lifeless. Watch this. But the Holy Spirit without a master plan will never fulfill everything God has in store for us. We want to talk about this. Let's go to the Tennessee River, the big locks and dams along the Tennessee River. Watch this. See, those locks and dams have created a point where the power of that river generates something. You with me? Now, without the river, the dam is just sitting there. But without the dam, the river just flooding, going over here, going over there. Got me? Begin to get a master plan powered by God. Oh, we start generating some juice. Come on. We start doing some things for God. See, without the river, the dam doesn't have a purpose. Come on. But, but, but without the dams, that Tennessee River used to flood. And come on, you know that's kind of how we used to have church, isn't it? Well, we had a good Sunday. Woo! And I'm good for that. I like that. I'd rather see that than... Or, you know, come on, understand. But I want to see some of this woo Sunday stuff turn into some Monday stuff. Yeah. See, some people love God, love His Word. You know, somebody said, I hate to say this, but you know why pastors wear glasses? They ruin their eyes looking for people at prayer meetings. People that love to pray. People that love God. And you know what? We got to love each other. You can't say, man, I love His Word. I love His presence. But those people, mm, come on. That's the master plan. And it produces miracles, generosity, faith. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.